Hey, welcome to Alex Listens, a podcast about nothing and everything at the same time. Um, no, but really, uh, this is a podcast. I like I like to I like to reiterate the purpose of the podcast at the beginning of every show because I feel like I feel like recently I've been kind of uh, I've been feeling very displaced and I keep forgetting why I'm doing certain things. So. Welcome to Alex Listens, a podcast about philosophy. Actually, that's not so good. Welcome to Alex Listens, the neighborhood podcast about everything. Um, if you can think of a better, better thing, you know how like you know how it's kind of cool these days to have like because like you know everyone's a raging neoliberal and we all want like we all want to be different from everyone else. So you know how it's cool these days to have like to have like your own catchphrase like hey my name's Alex listens and my, this is my show about I don't know fucking whatever um so you should you should help me you should help me formulate a a um a phrase Alex listens the podcast the li- ah here we go here we go hey welcome to Alex listens the podcast for listeners. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, you can almost you can almost tell that I haven't been outside today. Um, you can almost feel it through the microphone. But um, that aside, uh, how are you, my dear friend, my dear listener? Uh, I hope you're well. I hope I hope your day has been as fruitful as mine. Um, I hope, I, in fact, I hope it's been much more fruitful than mine. Um, you know what's cool? People, people are listening to the podcast. That's really cool. People who I definitely don't know. Lots of people from North America. Um, <laughs> I'll also tell you what's happening uh, in North America. Um, apart from Bernie Biden stuff. Um, my website, right? www.alex.co. Go on it if you want. Um, so here's a little, a little uh, personal anecdote. Um, so when I was in high school, I looked up the definition of my first name, Alex. Well, my first name's actually Alexander, but Alex, A-L-E-K-S, whatever. And do you remember Urban Dictionary? Did anyone ever go on Urban Dictionary? Um, whatever, I went on Urban Dictionary. And the first thing, the first definition of Alex on Urban Dictionary is this, the most stupid maths program ever. Alex, dot, 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 the most stupid maths program ever. And I was like, what the hell? I'm not a fucking maths program. I'm just I'm just this dude. I'm a, I'm not a maths program. I'm a real person. Um, and then kind of years went by. Whatever. I got into the later later years of high school, and I looked up. Um, I don't know. I, I like looked up maths help or whatever on Google, and this website came up. It's a North American website. Alex A L E K S dot com. Okay, my website is Alex dot co. So I get all of this traffic. I get so many clicks on my website. And for a while, I had this great kind of this regular ego boost that I could just find by going onto the statistics of the people who visit my website. And I'd be like, wow, all of these North Americans, they love me. I don't know why. There are like way more people that visit my website from North America than listen to the podcast, like a crazy amount. And then I, I went on to like, tell you what's really freaky, like, any, anyway, yeah, um, if, if you've ever had your own website, you probably know that you can get 
lots of detailed analytics about like who goes on your website and where they go and like I have all of your IP addresses and I'm gonna hack your brain um and and yeah you I can you can see like what people search into Google before they click on your website and like one one of the Google searches that someone searched was like fuck Alex maths and like there's just all of this like people are just like you know how to cheat on Alex like all of this shit and it's really funny like how to cheat on Alex like I'm not even in a relationship you know like you can't even cheat on me um yeah so so I hope I hope you haven't I hope you're not 21 episodes deep into the podcast hoping for some some maths because um you're not gonna get it from here you're gonna get it from fucking alex.com and they're not even paying me to promote this episode um I, you know who should pay me? <laughs> Speaking of paying people, if you're enjoying the podcast, you should um, you should support it because because I will never ever have an ad on this podcast. Not even for, not even for Alex.com. They didn't even ask me if they could use my name. Not even for Alex.com. No ads for nothing for anything ever. No fucking um, yeah. No bullshit. Cash app rocket mortgage none of that shit um but but that comes at a cost for me because um i'm relying on you uh the listener to be transparent and honest about um about what this podcast means for you and if it does mean something uh i i want you to um and if you're in a position of where it's not going to be um a financial challenge for you to become a patron of the podcast um if it's meaningful for you um it would mean very much to me if you could support it um if you want to support it you can do so through patreon um that's the service that i would recommend the most it allows you to become you know a regular patron um every month i don't know two dollars every episode two cents whatever it is that you want to do please do it um it will help me afford things and it will help me be able to spend more time on the podcast. Um, yeah, thanks for listening to me because, you know, Alex listens, the podcast for listeners or whatever. Um, yeah, I really, I really want to have a phrase. I feel like that's a really powerful and commanding way to start the episode. And, you know, I feel like that's what I need in my life at the moment. Um, routine, you know, consistency. Um, I lead, I lead a very inconsistent and, um, and what, what's, what's the opposite of punctual? Like whatever that word is like, um, yeah, I should have that like tattooed somewhere on me. Um, I'm not very good at being on time and that's why, yeah. Anyway, um, who did I talk to today? Uh, maybe you've met my mum. Maybe you haven't met my mum. Um, my mum is, well, so yeah, I spoke with my mum and, uh, who, who is she? Her name is Liliana. Um, I actually didn't say her name. I just called her mum. Um, maybe I shouldn't have said her name at all. Maybe I've, um, maybe I've jeopardized her privacy. Um, but no, my mum is, uh, she's, she's from Macedonia. She was born there. Um, she was raised there until she was nine, then her and her parents and her brother got a boat from Italy um, to Melbourne and then 
she lived in Melbourne. And then she went to France. And then she met my dad, who's Algerian. And then I came out into the world in 1996, September 14. What a what an unfortunate day for our species. Um, and then, and then, yeah, 23 years later, I decided to move to the coldest city ever, um, London. And then my mum came and visited me because, um, because you know she doesn't care about the environment and air miles and whatever. No, because she's um, because she she's my mom and I miss her, and. And it was really nice. Um, she's with friends at the moment. Um, but a few days ago, I spoke with her. And I spoke with her on the podcast. Um, and I asked her about her experiences with migration. And what it's like to be a migrant. And what it's like to be new somewhere. And what it's like not to know what to expect from a place. And what it's like not to, ha- to be established. That was, yeah... Uh, I mean, this podcast, a lot of it is about migration and a lot of it is about identity. Um, and, and my mum has informed a lot of my views about the world. And, and I am very grateful to have had a mother like her. Um, my parents separated when I was young. Um, my mum saved me. We also spoke about, um, our experiences with, uh, depression and anxiety because, um, my mum also, my mum also suffered from depre- suffers from depression and anxiety. So, okay. So now you know about the podcast and now you know what I'm going to talk. Now you know who I'm going to talk to. I'm going to talk to my mum. And now you might be thinking, Hey, Alex, cool. I'm really excited, but I'd really like to give you, I'd really like to support the podcast. So what you can do, um, what you can do is you can send me a message on Instagram. You can say, hi, I'll reply. I always do. I've got nothing else better to do with my time. I just sit there waiting for you to message me. Um, so you can send me a message. You can say hi. I'll say hi. That can be it. We don't need to say anything else. I just need to know that you're that you're real. Um, or you can uh, click on the link in the bio, which will be to Patreon. Um, and Patreon, yeah, I've already spoken about it. And I'm going to keep talking about it because I need your help. Um, and otherwise, uh, I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to congratulate you for having listened to me for so long. Um, and hey, uh, if you've actually, if you're actually enjoying the podcast, um, that really, like, this is actually me being serious. Um, it really means something. It it really means a lot, like really a lot to me. Um, and I want all of you who have listened for a while and who have been in contact to know that, um, yeah, uh, when I, when I am not feeling comfortable, um, and when I am not, uh, when I'm feeling displaced and when I'm feeling confused, I often turn, um, I often turn to the things that I talk about in this podcast to find meaning. Um, and I often turn to this podcast to find meaning. So, um, yeah, it's very special to me to be able to share this Uh, with people. So thank you very much. And obviously that's a very personal thing to say. And I'm sorry if it's really scary because, you know, personal stuff. Um, But hey, I think you're cool. Uh, Anyway, enjoy the episode. um, And I love you very much. Goodbye.
Hi, Mom. Hello, Alexander. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. A bit wet and um, and Londoned out with all this uh, grey, grim, cold weather. <laughs> and and keep it short because I know that you like to you like to <laughs> take people on on marvelous adventures was, with your hey okay. let, hey. I'm. There was one day of sunshine. I just wanted to interject that. That okay. was amazing. Okay, but I keep it brief. But what are your thoughts on London? Amazing city, as uh, you know. Somebody said to me it was once the capital of the world um, because of its uh, colonial history um, and its uh, wealth taken creation. Just about, they've taken just about everything ever. And they have it in their museums now. Well, India was once a very rich country, and after two centuries of colonization, it was reduced to um, extreme poverty. But it's back on as one of the wealthiest countries in the world again, mm. from what I hear. Mm. And you've had... Um, so, I guess there are so many different things that we could talk about today, because you are my mum. But... Um, Maybe, maybe because I guess most of the listeners know about me um, and what I think is important for them to know in order to understand me. What do you think is important for people to know if they are to understand you? Oh, that's a very incisive question. Um, um, mm, and really difficult to answer. What's important to know about me I suppose that I live in Melbourne, in a city, that I've been a teacher, secondary school teacher, that I'm of Macedonian background, um, that uh, I have a son, that, uh, that I have uh, friends, <laughs> old friends, new friends. <laughs> Great. I'm sure people know so much about you now and they really know who you are. Um, but uh, talk to me about your... Um, so you said, obviously, you're from Macedonia and your family migrated when you were 10? Nine. Nine. Um, what was the experience of changing... Uh, cha like, because that's a really radical change of scenery from Yugoslavia to Australia. What was that like? I think it was uh, it was probably like you know going on Mars for my parents, um, and for me it was probably just going into numb mode um, with the uh, extreme uh, what's the word isolation and um, distance from everything familiar and. Uh, so probably a shock on many levels because, you know, we went from um, a house with uh, grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins chewing and froing into a bungalow in Coburg where suddenly there was hardly any people coming um, in fact, no people coming uh, initially to visit or us going anywhere. 
And I suppose, yeah, we just went to school. My parents went to work until my mother had an accident where they um, poured boiling water when they were cleaning the floors at Topper Ice Cream Factory in Preston in 1967, probably. Wow, a year after you arrived. Yeah, very soon after we arrived. So, um, yeah, so after that. Wow, what an introduction. Yeah, she didn't work out of home much. Mm. And and because um, the Macedonian community, at least most, most European migrant communities in Melbourne seem to be quite closely knit and they live together in areas and um, they share things and spaces but our family didn't seem to take part too much they didn't seem to get involved with kind of macedonian the macedonian community in melbourne why why do you think that was Mm, yeah i'm not really sure because yeah we never lived in suburbs where there were other macedonians we were of course distinctly couldn't be anything other than macedonian um, and, you know, consequently, 50 years later, um, my fluency with the Macedonian language is pretty high. Um, probably I can easily say, um, you know, better than my peers who even came later than me. But um, that's because I wanted to maintain it and um, I did by reading, studying, teaching it and my brother as well. So, you know, there was a pride in where we came from and uh, I think we really disliked Australia for a long time. We didn't even want citizenship. We just wanted to go back, really. That is my brother, mother and I. Why is that? Oh, it was too... It was too severe, it was too empty, it was too, um, you know, there was no community. Uh, We didn't have relatives here. Um, And so it was was like being in quarantine, actually, Mm. for a long period of time. Uh, And, you know, if you know anything about Melbourne in the mid-60s, and, you know, if your parents, which is that not much was happening, um, like community-wise, and if your parents were new to the country, didn't speak the language, um, you just, you went to school and you came home and and that was about it. And my parents' job, they saw their job to be to save as much money as they could um, and then to go back for good mm. in 1971. A lot of migrants make that trip back because the migration experience is very hard for a lot of people, I think. I think very few people would say, oh, it was, it was easy, it was great, um, because I think really nobody wants to leave their place of birth. Mm. Unless it is, you know, unless there's a civil war or something, you mm. then want to flee. Um, 
But, yeah, and as, do you want to ask me why my parents came out or not really? Yeah, well, yeah. No. Why, why did they come out? Well, it's really hard to say. I think um, it has to do with my mother's. I think my mother's at the centre of the reason for why my parents came out. I think she was a very feisty, non-compliant sort of a person so that when she married my father and came into his house, she was the new kid on the block, but her head wasn't bowed. She was very proud of who she was and where she came from and she just would have lots of uh, conflict with um, people around her and uh, just a very sharp tongue as well, very argumentative. And I think so she created conflict in the house with uh, with her sisters-in-law and so I think my dad couldn't cope with the level of conflict um, and also he had applied for us to move away from the um, extended family house and his application I think was only successful after we had left so what uh, do you mean he applied to what? well they were building his uh, the, the factory that he worked for in Macedonia in Bitola yeah okay. um, they the factories back then um, also built housing for the workers. Mm. Um, and while he was, you know, he was a prized uh, um, employee. Employee, exactly. He was a bookkeeper, and you know, he was. Uh, he was also not somebody who was uh, very aggressive in terms of, you know, his needs. And so, people, I, I get the impression, uh, got in ahead of him. So in the meantime, the um, climate in the home between my mother and his mother, etc., was not improving. And I think he came out first to um, get away from that conflict-ridden situation. But to this day, they say he never needed to leave in the first place mm. because he was the most productive of and the eldest. Um, of all of his siblings. And then we came out a year later. So I think he then kept us away, I think, from people. I sort of think that he did that so that conflict would be minimised between my mum and the outside world. Mm. I could be wrong, but that's what I get because he was a, a very mild-mannered um sort of a man and my mother was very fiery and, and mm. combative. Mm. Okay, one thing that I wanted to ask you is um, because one thing that I have experienced has been uh, an inability to feel as though I belong anywhere because our family is all over the world. Most of your family is in Macedonia. Most of dad's family is in North Africa or France. Um, and the family that we have in Melbourne, we're not very close with. Um, and, and I feel like you have spent most of your adult life trying to 
maintain your Macedonian, your Macedonianness. Um, and dad hasn't been present in my life. So I don't really know what it means for me to be Algerian. I don't really know what that part of my identity actually means for me. Um, and so I was wondering whether, um, whether you have, whether you have been able to feel like you belong anywhere, um, whether in Melbourne or because I know you've gone back to Macedonia many times. Um, yeah, I'm wondering whether the experience of migration or the returning back to where you came from. Um, well, yeah. yeah, you've put it very well. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I do belong anywhere. Um, I, I mean, I, I do belong. I am Australian um, of Macedonian background. Clearly, you know that is stamped on my forehead. But I don't feel particularly because that is not where my ancestors are from, um, and that is not where um, my ancestors' history is. Um, I tend to, uh, I think there just are some people that just don't belong, you know. <laughs> they no. try hard to belong and they do, but they also don't. There's just something where they just feel like, you know, I don't know, citizens of the world or citizens of, um, to put it positively, of uh, everywhere. But I, yeah, I say that because, I mean, also my pers my my immediate family was um, a very uh, troubled uh, sort of, a, we had a very troubled family life, once again, mainly spearheaded by um, my mother's nature, which was very fiery and very controlling and very... Um, uh, domineering and you know I, I just wish that she was able to use all of those very strong sharp um, abrasive sort of qualities in a um, you know in the outside world rather than um, uh, subjecting me <laughs> <laughs> me to them because my brother was very similar in nature um, and, you know, very intelligent people, both of them, and very gifted people. But, um, you know, if you came out alive from living with them, I think um, you, you've you got a badge, you've got some sort of, you should get some sort of badge of recognition <laughs> because, um, because it was uh, really literally their way um, or nothing mm. the whole time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my father did amazingly well with mm. them too. And, okay. I, um, yeah. So so you, my question was, how, do you feel like you belong anywhere? And And you said no. And you said no because you feel like you're a citizen of everywhere. But you didn't say no because you haven't been able to successfully integrate into anywhere so but I, I feel like that's the reason i feel like from conversations that you've had with me over my 23 years of being your son i've learned that 
one thing that you want more than anything is to feel like you are part of a community. And I think Melbourne is the place where you feel most at home. Mm. Um, and I feel like you want to be part of a community there and you haven't either you haven't been able to find it or it doesn't exist for you. Um, and I suspect that that is the reason why you don't feel like you belong in Melbourne. And I think because I think that's the reason why I don't. But I mean, I, I think I'm different from you because I wasn't raised in Macedonia and it wasn't my first language. And I was, yeah, I think the stronger influence on my life has been Australian culture and the Australian way of being. Um, and all my, I, I don't have, I don't have any Macedonian friends. Um, I have a few Serbian friends and Croatian friends, but yeah, you know, there are obviously tensions between Macedonia and those countries. So. Oh, not really. Um, well, the thing of belonging, I think, um, probably comes from your immediate family. Um, and I think if you've been brought up in a family with lots of conflict, like on a daily basis mm. for a few decades, um, you feel unsettled in the world wherever you are and maybe you find it really difficult to attach. I mean, clearly I'm marked, as I said, with my Australianness. You know, I've lived there for 51 years and I have friends from almost all of those years and all of those decades from different walks of life, so to speak. But then I'm, you know, I also have my memories of being in Macedonia up to the age of nine and, I, and cousins who I spent long, hot summers with in my um, mother's village and we're still very close. And, um, and, you know, I really love when I go there to see these people because they are the link with my ancestry and because they look like me and they knew my parents and they knew my grandparents, whereas nobody in Australia, really, uh, nobody knows uh, those people. And you know that because of the nature of um, my family, i.e. my parents are both gone, um, but, um, you know, we don't communicate with my brother or his children. So those sort of ruptures, I think, um, leave can leave you feeling, uh, you know. Displaced or something. Yeah, mm. displaced. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I, I mean, I'm not, I don't even know if a priority if it's a priority in my life to feel as though I belong. Um, because may, I think I've almost accepted that that's going to be impossible for me. Or, or, you know, to belong in the way that both of us might want, which is to have our ancestors, to have our entire family in the area where we are and they're supporting us or whatever. That's impossible for us um, because our family aren't in Melbourne. And... 
there's something new happening when you mo- when your family moved and when you decided to raise me in Melbourne. If that's a decision you actually made, I'm not sure. Um, I guess, yeah, I was destined to be separate from your from the family in Macedonia, and I like I, I don't I I don't think it's a bad thing. I mean, you know what my relationship with no, but that family. You know, every migrant is separated from their country of birth and Mm. you are the product Mm. of uh, two parents that were born elsewhere. Mm. Um, uh, Our problem is compounded by the fact that we don't have extended family and the little that we do have... um, We don't communicate with, yeah. Yeah, because of dysfunctionality in Mm. the family, uh, there is... And, you know, I know you feel sad about that and I feel sad about it. And um, But then I think both of us are also very good at um, creating our own families. You know, they say that uh, your real family is the one that you choose, mm-hmm. um, which, I mean, I, I agree with it and then I don't agree with it because I also have friends who have extended families that... Um, that work really well. Mm. Um, and so, but our uh, journey is a different one there because uh, we don't have that ready facility. Um, yeah, the safety net of establishment or whatever it is. Yeah. The safety net of the family. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah. I think we do a good job, as mm. I said. But yeah, what what I think is really amazing is that you have been like, I'm not sure whether it's luck that the place that we ended up in, in Melbourne is like this really welcoming, really accepting, mostly, yeah, left-leaning um, area. And, and a lot of the people who I'm friends with aren't the children of migrants. Um, some of them are, um, but the ones who aren't are aware of or try, a lot of them try to have some awareness of that history. Um, I think it's impossible. If you haven't been, if you don't have migration in your recent personal history, I I think it's uh, it's a tall order to expect to be understood, just no, as no, we yeah, can't, yeah. just as you even though you've been in the homes of, let's say, Anglo, Irish, Australian, uh, Scottish, Australian families, um, you still don't know what their sense of belonging to, um, uh, let's say, is like Mm. um, because you've never experienced it. Yeah, yeah, like I... Except vicariously through their friendship. Yeah, but th- that's a slightly different point to the one I was making. Um, I, I agree with you. I, d- I don't think it's possible for for someone who, who doesn't come from a migrant family to know what the experience of migration is like because they don't have that experience. They're not migrants. Um, but my point was that uh, I think that I would have... I think that I had a lot... I think that my experience as the child of migrants was a lot smoother than yours because there had been decades of you seeing what worked and what didn't in Melbourne and I guess you were protective of me and you directed me towards things that you thought would help me like you made sure that 
I played a lot of sport when I was younger, that I was always doing things to try and take part in the community. Um, and like, think about it. All the people who I played sport with were, weren't migrants. They were all, you know, yep. white, white kids. But wait, like my point, my point is that I'm like, that, yeah, I think my, my experience of migration has been a lot easier than yours because yeah because you're second generation yeah but but at the same time mine is very different to other people in melbourne who didn't grow up in the inner north yeah because the inner north is like well that's right because it's politically progressive in the outer north let's say where i have an uncle who lives let's say epping Laylaw, where streets some streets you know, whole villages might have migrated mm. into particular streets and where there's, a, you know, the reception, Macedonian reception places, the church, um, you know, Epping Plaza, people um, run into each other and greet each other. Uh, you can buy Macedonian food, etc., etc. So there there's a lot more echoing of the old... Um, country or the country of migration whereas where we are um, it's uh, totally gentrified it, and yeah yeah it's it's another world mm. you know Minas City Carlton Brunswick are other worlds and because we didn't uh, we didn't have family for social occasions um, or it was very rare when it did happen. Um, I then went, tried to keep us um, being with people. And how do you do that? You you mimic or you copy, you see what other people in the school where you went. You know, I, I befriended people who I learned things off about sporting clubs and all the rest of it because I had no experience of that. My parents didn't take me to play mm. any sport or encourage me to play any sport. Um, but I encouraged you because I wanted you to um, learn how to be in the world through being part of those sport clubs like football and mm. cricket and, did, and basketball. Did you do that because... When you say you wanted me to learn how to be in the world, do you actually mean that you wanted me to feel as though I belonged in, yeah. in Melbourne? Yeah, yeah. So that you belonged, so that you had the friends that you went to school with, you also played sport mm. with. They because if I didn't, if I hadn't down done... the street from yeah, us. If I hadn't done those things, then there would be, I guess, less in common. And then maybe the integration would be even less successful. I think so. Yeah. Mm. But then I was like I think my I think my integration was I don't know more fluid than yours because of those reasons. But what about all the people who like when you were talking about the outer northern suburbs of Melbourne where a whole village may have migrated from Australia, uh from Macedonia. Um do you think that that stifles the integration experience when I guess you're just transposing? Yeah, see, because I'm not, it's hard for me to answer that. Because, because you're not from, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you see how we all live, end up living in our 
ghettos. Um, like, I don't feel like, I mean, I do feel that I'm a member of the Macedonian community in Melbourne, but because I haven't had that sort of experience of living in those um, suburbs and going to school with other Macedonian kids um, and maybe even, um, you know, what parents there also do is they enrol the kids in folk dance groups mm-hmm. so that they stay together within the community and possibly even end up marrying within the community as well. So the experience, the suburban experience of a migrant is also a different one to the inner city one mm. because you don't have those rings around you that keep you to the newly created identity mm. um, in the suburbs. Mm. Well, what do you like? But, of course, then what I did, though, I went back to that. How did I go back to that? I became a teacher, secondary school teacher. My methods were in English and French. But I've spent most of my life teaching Macedonian mm. and promoting the teaching of Macedonian, mm. um, even though I did not live in the suburbs where I taught. Mm. And I've only mainly taught in the outer suburbs, in Footscray, Williamstown. You know, I used to take you to uh, Box Hill <laughs> where I used to teach Macedonian um, and Laylor and Epping and Thomastown. Mm. So... I mean, it's just, it's an unfortunate binary. It seems like maybe, it, like, oh, maybe it's not so clear a binary. Like, either you abandon, you abandon the motherland and you try and assimilate into inner city um metropolitan life or you recreate the motherland in the suburbs and then you don't integrate as successfully or something i'm not sure but like um i don't know would you have would you have in retrospect like would you have changed anything did you do you wish that your parents had hadn't Sometimes I do. Sometimes I wish that um, that we were there and, you know, we went to weddings and picnics and reception halls and that I was enrolled in those um, folk dance mm. groups instead of learning how to dance at the age of 50 when I started going to dance classes or 55. Um but um, you know, it's—I don't know what it is. It's uh, just a different. That's how it is in a big city. Mm. I think you know, big cities. Um, there's so much diversity in big cities, and um, you yeah, know. and think about all the other ethnic groups. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, every every migrant goes through this experience, yeah. Um, and that that's, yeah, that's the that's the challenge. That like when you relocate, you're bound to this new place. Um, yeah. And yeah, either I don't know, either you stay or you go back. And a lot of the time, the reasons why, like, yeah, I mean, Baba, my grandma, you know, when 
she would say that she came here for you, for the children. You know, the sacrifices that they made were for us. Look at all that they did for us. And yeah, I mean, I certainly wouldn't have had anywhere near the level of privilege that I've had as someone in Melbourne if they hadn't migrated 50 years ago, 51 years ago. Um, I mean, look at my, look at, yeah, our second, my second cousins, um, my Baba's siblings, they don't have, their children don't have access to the kinds of things that I do. Um, And yeah, that's really hard. Yeah, but I think they also have very rich lives. I don't. Oh, well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that they don't have, of course they have rich lives, but. This kind of maybe they don't have the choices to inequality free range of opportunity, yeah, around the world mm. like you do, but they still <laughs> free range around <laughs> the world. <laughs> Thanks, but they still, um, I think they still get around. Some have remained in their village of birth Mm. um, or town of birth and live lives there and others have moved away Mm. Um, and yeah even there there's um, you know there's diversity Mm. anyway let's um uh there's something else oh well one one thing that i wanted to talk about but it might be a bit too contentious is the relationship between Macedonia and Greece, but maybe we can have that conversation another time. Maybe that could be an episode in itself. Um, what do you think? Maybe. Okay, maybe. Well, I can tell you in short what I think. Okay. Well, basically, you know, just as I don't feel I belong anywhere, mm. I I agree with that statement. Can't remember who it was that said that nationalism is the realm of the of the of the rogue or patriotism you know so i'm not i think i like to think that i'm not patriotic and i'm not nationalistic because i feel those feelings first of all explain the relationship between just for people who don't know what the relationship between greece and macedonia is what's the context that you're talking well the current context is that um uh, bilateral agreements between the current government of Macedonia and Greece led to a name change, um, which is... Um, so Macedonia's had three different names. It was once called yeah. Macedonia and then, what, mid-2000s, former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia and then September last year, Northern North April, Macedonia? Northern, yeah. Yep. Hmm. Um, and that's because of? Well, that's because of ultra, what I see as ultra identification with one's national state, whatever name it goes by today. So Greece goes by that name today. It didn't, um, let's say, it's a fairly recently constructed nation state. Um, and like from the 18th century onwards, they were before that, um, they were part of the Ottoman Empire and in antiquity they were separate nation states. Um, anyway, because of this, I think, need to feel superior in one's um 
ethnicity, claims on history and I think Greek history has been written and created by English scholarship. Uh, the um, I think the English have got a lot to answer for on the world stage for all the conflicts that are brewing because, mm. um, um, well, they colonised much of the world and through their royal families and through their minions and through all of their um, supreme power. They've constructed the modern world and they've written the histories and they've given names to histories and ascribed them to, uh, for example, you know, Greece, antiquity of that part of the world, which is Greece, Macedonia, Albania, let's say the Balkan, the Balkan region and so on, that is not the domain of just the Greeks. It is modern-day Greeks. It's the domain of all the myriad of ethnic groups that live on the Balkans. That includes, you know, the um, Albanians, the Macedonians, the, um, okay, the Greeks, the, 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 the Vlachs, the... Um, um, or Aramanians, the, the, the Roms, mm. um, all of those people have lived on that land for thousands of years. They did not suddenly appear there from anywhere. Um, and, okay, so, yes, the country, the small divided country that I come from, Macedonia, that is part of a larger region of antiquity that has been ascribed to um, Greek Greekness um, and but they're all just terms and names that um, uh, are an easy way of making reference to um, history of the past and look I'm no great scholar I haven't read much um, about antiquity. Um, but look, uh, all I would say is that history belongs to all the people of the region, really, of that region. And, um, and for Greece to think that it has sole... Um, right to use the term Macedonia, um, you know, it's it's just like they don't have propriety of that. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, what's amazing is that these racial tensions have are still alive today. And I have Greek friends whose parents wouldn't be happy that, you know, they've lied. One of my closest friends, he's lied to his parents about my background, because he knows that if he tells them I'm Macedonian, it will change, it will influence how welcome I am in their house. Um, and, you know, throughout high school, there were jokes about, you know, my grandma not existing and you not being real and the language that you spoke and taught wasn't real and stuff. Um, anyway, um, that's actually, I just wanted, because I know that this, yeah, you're right, like, um, Eurocentrism has changed and influenced the way we think about the world and um 
I guess, especially like Macedonia is not a member of the EU, and so there isn't much of a priority for its history to be acknowledged and recognized. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we we don't hear anything about we hear very little about Eastern history. You know, in school we learnt about I learnt about ancient Greece and the Romans and that kind of stuff, but you know, we didn't learn anything about the Ottoman Empire or you know, the Arabs or the Jews um, or any Eastern history. Yeah. Um, and I mean, what's what's even crazier, what's even more wild is that um, in the UK, they don't learn anything about Australian history um, and, you know, the legacies of genocide. It's still not even called colonizing, a genocide. Yeah. The, the legacy of colonizing mm. Um, that this country is built on mm. um, the <laughs> you need to come closer is is built on just the the might and the power it was able to wield around mm. the world and on um, taking the wealth of uh, a number of continents. Mm. And, um, I mean, this amazing city, um, mm. you know. Uh, I remember when I took you once to the Gold Museum years ago when I read that gold bars would make their way from the Victorian gold fields to Port Melbourne in, in carriages um, and they'd be sent to the Bank of England. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and... You know what wouldn't have been taken from India and and Egypt. I mean, we we, we went to the British Museum yesterday. Yeah, they have the Rosetta Stone. The Rosetta Stone is actually the Rashid Stone. Yeah. How you get Rosetta from Rashid? The one thing that um, I think, yeah. Anyway, I won't go there. <laughs> okay. One thing that I wanted to talk to you about is your mental health. And I know that you aren't as outspoken about your experiences of things as I am or as I've become, because I guess this is only a more recent thing for me. But I know that for a long, since my age, since you were my age or even younger, you've been a depressed person um, and an anxious person. Um, so what has your experience of those two things been like? Yeah. Um, I don't like the word depressed. Um, anxious, I probably, um, anxious, yes. And, uh, I think anxiety is like so, such a big part of me that I wouldn't know what it's like to be otherwise. And I've still managed to, uh, make my way. Um, around the world, sort of. Mum, but what what has yeah. your experience been like of it? Not about how you've what you've been able to do with it, mm. but what has it actually? How like how has it inf how how has it influenced your decision making? What does it feel like? You know, it's it's so hard because when y you don't really know, because that's all you know, mm. sort of thing. Um, if I was able to stand outside myself and not be anxious, then mm. I might be able to comment on it. But, you know, it, 
it, it, there is a heaviness there in everyday life that you carry around with you. Maybe it's like operating on, you know, um, one less battery or um, if, if, you know, if you operate on two batteries, then you're missing one. Mm. It's, uh, it's Wait, a- is this the anxiety or the depression? Both. Both, okay. Because my experience of anxiety has been that it makes me even, it's like I've got 15 batteries or something. <laughs> Not that I lose one. I guess the depression, although I've become a lot less anxious over the past like four years, five years. Um, since high school finished really, I think I've calmed down a lot. But I think a lot of that has bec- has been because I've just become much more depressed. And that's really sapped my, the kind of, you know, manic swings that I'd have with anxiety. Um, yeah. But like, because I, you worry about things a lot. Like you get really like, think about, think about the, uh, think about how long it took you to actually book the flight to come to London and you couldn't tell what you were fearful of and that kind of stuff. There's just like a lot of speculation in your head and and also think well, about decision making. Like you know, you re- there are all the things that go with anxiety and depression. Mm. I I would have, you know, uh, and probably they become more <laughs> intense. Mm-hmm. Maybe as as I get older, like really, wow. Um, no, look, I really find it difficult to talk about because. I would, I mean, what goes with anxiety and depression? Let's say, what are the classic things? You don't have much energy. You feel your, that's why I say I feel, you know, as if I have always operated on one battery or as if um, I'm very, like everyone says I'm very calm when they look at me. Yeah, people say the same thing about me, which is just outrageous. Which I think is also outrageous because I think um, – um, but that's what you project. And I don't know whether that's a mask um, that you put on in order to get by in uh, society. Um but I think that turmoil is very sapping, though, because it's like their um, whatever anxiety, whatever the other words you can use for it, you know, whether it's that lack of home or some sort of a um, a, a, a minus or emptiness or that thing of not belonging that mm. we we talk about, where you feel you don't have roots. Um, or where you feel you're rootless, um, not ruthless. Um, I think they're all. I think maybe they're all things that go with an extreme anxiety, because you that ability to remove yourself from you mm. know the the present moment. You get very good at that, um, and I don't know where you go. <laughs> Um, but it's, um, it's a lack of presence. Mm. It can be a lack of presence. But that's also like, yeah, like I I have that 
like I'm I'm convinced that most of the day I'm not like I'm not actually aware of where I am and what I'm doing and like um like sometimes I really feel like I disengage like if I I really I've realized that I'm not very good at crowds I'm not very good at being in crowds like at the museum yesterday you know how I had to go outside like that happens to me sometimes and I get this really uncomfortable feeling after I realized that like, I haven't really been aware of what I've been doing. I've kind of just been walking around aimlessly, like thinking about other things. And um, yeah, but what I was going to say was that is also a coping mechanism for me, that kind of disengaging and removing myself from what I actually, Mm. what's actually going on around me. Um, Yeah. Um, And, and do you have hope? that do you have hope that your life do you want your life to change like do you want to be free from these things or no that's all i know Mm. no wow okay um why would i it's unrealistic i mean but yeah one like you've we're different in one thing that one way in which we're different is that I have a lot more faith in the practices of Western medicine than you do. Like I've been a lot more involved in psychology and psychiatry than you have. And you seem to totally reject them or mostly reject them. And you're very skeptical of, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I first started going to see a a psych psychologist I think when I was at university at Melbourne Uni there in, in Faraday Street in my early 20s so that's about 40 years ago I think I had a really big breakdown um and then just you know uh pulled myself up because that's what my parents my mum told me to do and stop pretending that there was anything wrong with me and just keep going to uni and um and when I didn't want to, and um, and through her perseverance, I managed to complete the degree and the diploma because she so wanted me to get that degree and diploma. And um, so she was very ambitious for me, but I would have let go of it and maybe done other things um, that would also have worked out, I think. But yeah, and that during those that time, I was reading R. D. Lang, the myth of mental madness, and um, and a lot of anti psychiatry sort of things that were trying to say that the reason people feel anxieties and depressions and have mental illnesses is because of a lack of people in their lives or a lack of community or a lack of family or a lack of, um, you know, or a a heartless um, individualistic consumerist society breeds. I mean, isn't that also today? Like, you know, loneliness, they say, is the biggest um, around the urban Western world Mm. Um, is a is a big, um, uh, you know. Yeah, it's a threat almost. Yeah, to the individual and also to, to society. society. Well, think about like maybe. Do you know about incels? 
involuntary no. celibates. Um, no. uh, anyway, that's a story for another day. But yeah, I think I think you're, for the listeners who are familiar with um, the, that group of people, um, yeah, maybe we can think about. Yeah, sorry, my, we're short on time. Um, but one thing that I wanted to say was that it's interesting that you think there's a relationship between um, the experience of migration, and, as in the isolation of it, and the f- and and you think that isolation contri- contributes to like experience like depression and anxiety and stuff. Um, but can can but it yeah can, also but I think also I totally. I reject any argument that says that that is the only reason why people or that people can't be by like, because that's just wrong. Like depression is, can be biological. Obviously it can be something that's a social response to social circumstances, but that's why I think that you're wrong in not having, that's why I think you've erred maybe to your own, maybe to the detriment of your own mental health and not having faith in, in medicine, yeah. because like, yeah. like I've been like, Dad, this is what I feel, and he'd be like, No, you don't. You, you're not, you're not stressed. You're not an anxious person. You're not a depressed person. Yeah. And I guess you've you were kind of like that as well. Yeah, I was. You too. didn't believe me mm, for a yeah. really long time, and I because I didn't want to. Probably I didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah. Just as maybe my mother could not understand what was happening to me, why I was. Um, why I had a breakdown, why I didn't want to go to uni anymore, mm. why I lost the inability to go about my usual business mm. um, during that period of time. So it's, uh, you know, it can be motivated by fear. Mm. Um, mm. Anyway, um, I'm aware that, that you have to go see your friends. Yeah. Um, your friends who are going to cure your depression. Because... <laughs> This community is really important. <laughs> but hey, mom, thank you for talking to me. Um, and I, I'm sure the listeners are really, maybe not really glad to have heard you speak, but I'm sure, I hope they enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thank you for um, taking me along. Thanks Some for being my mom. Paths of, of trains of thought. And, um, You're going to you know, thank me for being your son? And thank you for being my son and for inviting me to come to London. Bye, Mum. Bye. Like I'm great all day, whether I like it or not, I'm not complaining, I'm just saying that I'm okay with